Hello, server. Hello, audience. Here comes music. about it right here every day on the radio ranch roger sales with you on the 27th of july and uh, 22 of course is the year and the year of confusion well wasn't that an old temptation song year of confusion if it wasn't it should have been okay uh so uh, <laughs> here we go tim isn't with us is he <laughs> Oh, I can't help it. Uh, so here we go on the, what is it, Wednesday? Pinch, pinch, Wednesday edition, I guess. Let me get the board up here and get this stuff done, and we can sink into stuff. Now, Daniel, you were saying something right as we went on the air, and I'm not aware of it. Let's, uh, uh, let's uh, chew it around. Judy called. Um, she actually shared with you that she had those phone calls. Yes. Um, to tell her that if she's on these platforms for more, and not yours, but some other ones for more than two hours or whatever, two hours or whatever, that they were going to have to, um, she had to stop it. And so, anyway, she uh, emailed me yesterday and said she's been shut down for at least five days, can't use her phone or, or internet or anything right now. I, that sounds like some sort of a lawsuit to me. I'll bet in that contract it says unlimited. I know they might cover their ass in the fine print. But uh, that that that's just not right, okay. Well, all these all these internet companies, every one of them are lying thieves. Um, I switched my uh, my services around, and everything they said to me was a lie. Then I I had to get on with one of them, so I had to both of them did that, and then I guess you'd get two per area. But um, they're doing it again to me. I just. Everything they do is a straight up lie. These these people are de- these are desperate moves, folks. They're desperate moves, and what they're trying to on? move. Well, I, here's what's going on: the period of escalating period of escalating violence. Who was that? Who is our female that asked that question? Please. Oh, um, I wanted to know what you guys were talking about. I walked into the middle of it. I go ahead. Well, I, okay, that's great. Well, I'll be happy to tell you we just started. But what's your name? Is what I was asking. Well, Roger. Hi, this is Ella. Oh, Ella. Okay, in, in out Thank there you. in Sacramento, right? Okay. What really is yeah. going on in the big picture? And I would love to have talked about this on some of these shows, but I'm trying to talk about all of our other stuff with interruptions from idiots okay. like Tim. Um, what's going on in the in the world right in the U.S. right now in the world too is uh, something. General retired Brigadier General Benton Parton, now deceased, told me about years ago when I had a chance to spend hours together on him, and he would also talk about this. He had two talks: one on the Oklahoma city bombing because he was the experts expert in the united states on on munitions and explosives okay and and when that incident happened he's the one that did a very very scientific paper uh and uh, on how the amfo couldn't have blown the face off that building from where it was because it lost foot pounds in the explosion in the air 
okay? I mean, AMFA is good at the point, but it's not necessarily good at extended uh, repercussions from the explosion, is my understanding. And uh, so he wrote a very scientific paper. He lived in uh, right across the uh, road in Virginia from D.C., uh, and he took and made that uh, that report and deli- hand delivered it to every senator and congressman in 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 D.C. Nobody said anything, obviously. Now that was one talk that he gave. The other talk was on the background of communism, and he was an expert on communism. And the reason was because when he got his big job in the Air Force. Uh, as as he he they plucked him out of the ranks he's obviously an upper level officer and assigned him a whole new division of the air force and it was called the weapons systems division and all it was he, he told us he'd tell us in the talks that all i had was a quonset hut I had no desk no file cabinets no employees no nothing and they assigned me with this uh, position, and my job was to look 50 years into the future and see what types of weapon systems we might need. And he said, well, the first thing I figured I ought to do is figure out who we're going to be fighting. And we're the big enemy at the time was communism, obviously still is. And so he became an ardent student of communism. Now, Ella, what I'm going to tell you, you can probably you might can find it they've scrubbed it off the web it used to be uh, a lot more accessible because when i talked about it 11 years or so ago i'd have listeners send it to me you know but there the the communist international met the very first time in 1919 they meet in basel switzerland i believe where the bank of international settlements is surprise surprise and uh, in 1919 they put forward a draft of a blueprint plan of how to take over countries and it was called in 1919 it was called the working white papers of the communist international 10 years later when they met again in 29 they voted on it approved it and I guess there it's called the White Papers of the Communist International because now it's approved. And I remember Benton Parton saying they've followed this to the T on every country they've taken over since it was voted on and passed in 1929. Okay. Now there's four stages in their plan. And I don't remember all of them. I remember the last two, you know. The, the, the third one is the one I really remember, and the third one's the one we're in right now. And that is called the period of escalating violence. See any escalating violence around? See, George Soros coming in and having all these DAs. We're like the guy in New York who's a federal congressman now. Federal congressman. Up there, uh, uh, running for governor, I'm sure all y'all saw this or heard about it, running for governor, he's giving a speech the other day, and a guy comes up on stage and tries to kill him. Yeah. Okay? And the guy got released by the next day of uh, assault with intent to murder or harm a sitting federal congressman, and they let him out the next day. That's the period of escalating violence. You see it everywhere. Okay, and that's what they're leading yeah. to because that leads to the fourth stage of the takeover stage, and then they use that to take over any countries. Well, there aren't any other countries they hadn't taken over, in essence. Okay, so we're the last banana. We're the we're the last apple at the top of the tree. Okay, now yeah. what they've got to do before they move to the fourth stage, this is where there's this is where they're failing, and you can see them because they're desperate. Okay, they got to get rid of the guns, 
and they've got to get yeah. rid of the death penalty because then their little henchmen, their little MS-13, and like this guy with that congressman in New yeah. York, they can send them out to do their bloody damn work, and they let them back out, and they don't have to fear any repercussions for what they've done. That's what's happening. George, I mean, um, Roger, something uh, George Soros says is that I'm going to bring down the United States by funding black hate groups will put them into a mental trap and make them blame white people. The black community is the easiest easiest to manipulate. Of course. Of course. That's I saw a clip I yeah. saw a clip last night and it was I th- I didn't see the officers' faces. They may have been black, I don't know, but they were in a black area of some town. And here's these little black kids that are maybe like 4 or 5 years old and they're they're up there harassing the cops people at four yeah. years old yep you saw it too right i saw it uh, yeah i saw that a, a few days ago absolutely okay well you know and that's why i cater try and cater to the black community here you know i've been begging for years every time we get a black guy on here i say do you have any connections to lewis farrakhan no, nobody's ever been able to get me to him. Now, I know because I knew Lynn Horowitz, the guy that did all the AIDS research and everything. Him and I worked together closely years ago. And Lynn Horowitz, with that AIDS book, got a personal uh, audience with Farrakhan. Okay, I can't get to him. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine if we got this information right here in Louis Farrakhan's hands? See, it blows their whole deal. Okay. And so uh, that that's why I strive so hard to do this stuff. And and it's just like, uh, you know, beating your head against a wall because it feels so good when you stop. So I've just, you know, again, what I've done years ago, I just said, well, look, big guy, come on. This is your project. You know, I'll, I'll do what I've got to do, but you got to open the doors. Okay. And the doors, it hadn't been in his timing yet. All right. And it may be that it it may be along who knows what those things are, but it may be that they're waiting for the situation to build to a, a an explosive point, and here we come with this. See, I keep wondering right now with their big push, they know this is happening. They're getting those those affidavits from me and, and the other people and stuff up there. They know we're waking up. They know they're losing their power. They know they're going to have to be tyrants. Is that one of the reasons they're accelerating this agenda? I'm not saying it is. I'm just asking the question. It's great food for thought, okay? Hey, Roger, something I picked up out of your book about the Matrix, and it just nailed it right on the head what I had been, had been experiencing. You touch it, but you can feel it, and it's like a splinter in your eye. Yeah, that was that Morpheus stuff. It wasn't from my book, and and uh, it was that Morpheus stuff, absolutely. But I think you got it in your book too. No, I, well, I don't. I may, I may have. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Uh, but I do know. You know, I've seen different clips of the movies over the years and picked that up, picked those little phrases up. But boy, is that accurate? You're born into it. You can feel it. Yeah. You can't see it. But you can feel it. You can't touch it. You can't see it. But you can feel it. And then he nails it. You're born into it. Right there. Hey, Roger. Yeah, Daniel. Uh, did you see Max Egan's latest? Um, I, ha- I have not. I wish you'd send it to me so I'd be sure and catch it. I can't find yeah, it sometimes on bit you. A few minutes ago. But anyway, he was saying that if you leave your house, 
the 5G will hit and you make you feel so sick you'll run back in your house. And this is all for the non-vaccinated. They're really going to come after with the 5G and all kinds of crap like that. There's going to be all kinds of interruptions um, for the, for us that uh, we won't even well, be able to talk to each other. That's what they're trying to well, do. Well, I mean, you know, look what's around the corners, midterm elections. They're scared to death of this. They know what they've done. They know how much the people hate them. They know that they're illegal. They know they're immoral. And here we are, and they got the pressure building. They're desperate, man, I'm telling you. I don't know what they're afraid of in elections when they own the damn machine. So until they deal with that, I really don't want to talk Well, they they got anxiety that they might not win, and they know if they lose, they're done. Well, yeah, I just just don't see that happening. They've never corrected the the whole voting system so. oh, I know. well it's gonna listen we're going up to a revolution can you see it building oh yeah yeah uh, trump won uh, i don't see anybody with guns standing and having any control at all i mean if, if, if all they gotta do is have a dw on then you evaporate into plasma so you know well again that's why our message is so important because it takes away this false jurisdictional hold they've got on you and it makes them act like a tyrant and what's the old saying make a tyrant act like a tyrant that's how you press the envelope that's what we're doing here no matter what no matter no matter what tim in washington thinks that's what we're doing here okay i don't know what this tim in washington where'd that come from i was on michael herzog last night and i i you know and i i probably should i figured michael wants to have me on there to present the stuff well he you know he want he's been doing his homework he's all buffed up he wants to throw stuff in there and 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 then he wants to take calls and the first time we've been on there we had him cover the material uh-huh. to take calls about you know and so the first caller is one of these idiots out of washington oh i've heard this guy oh what about 9-11 what about oklahoma city you know and all that crap and i just had to cut him off i don't take that crap wow. anymore okay wow i know i don't put up with it i shouldn't have put up with it as long as they did last night because I, I i should have had mike yank his ass off in about the first 15 seconds yep we got a couple hours together you know, on a special platform and here comes 10 15 minutes of this idiot ruining it and then the repercussions of it that linger the rest of the program roger mike what mike isn't ready to jump on board that's the deal he wants to split hairs i listened to the show oh no no he's he's ready well he's ready well he tells me he's ready to move forward and i don't care you know i did you know what i didn't get i didn't get that from him okay well i did and that's what he told me you know but because we talk between the breaks and stuff okay so uh but you see it doesn't matter whether people do it or not our job is to tell them about it. If they want to move on it, great. If they don't, that's all right, too. Let them go be a surf and go to hell. Okay? That's their decision. Roger, I I get that. So if, if he was completely on board, why would he allow that to happen? You see what I'm saying? Well, because he's he a, he's not because like he's he he's not a radio host except one day a week. He's a he's not a professional. Yeah. Doesn't have the background. He's been working on that audience. That's his one All little right. cameo a week, and that's the way he does his show. I've yeah. never listened to his show before. I have. Okay, okay, go ahead. I okay. mean, Samuel yeah. on here loves him. Okay, so I don't know. But that happened last night. And I wish, you know, I understand yeah. you're on there once a week. You got an audience. You built it over years. You want to communicate with them. I like taking calls. Okay. But uh, yeah. but that kind of crap. 
and 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 the 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 phone screeners at RBNs like Mike that was there last night that are regularly there they know these jerk callers. Hell, Murr said called in. You heard her called in. Said this guy terrorizes Revolution Radio all the time. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, any yeah he does. So you know, I mean, I, we got rid of him fairly quickly, but it really pissed me off, you yeah. know. And it pissed me off. I'm there to try and reach. I know it's just like I told Mike. A bunch of your audience probably been exposed to me in some degree, but a number of them probably haven't. Those are the people I was trying to get to last night, and that crap right there, yeah. not being able to lay out the whole thing and taking calls and having that yeah. idiot as the first one, just really, it didn't, it didn't, right. t- it didn't ruin it. Just jaundiced it a little bit. Yeah. Say they're out there, you know. I mean, there's another one at RBN. This guy Mitch from Memphis, he's called in a couple of times. Same type of crap. You know, it shows me the mental illness in our in our patriot community. But hell, I've been aware of that for a long time. <laughs> well, you, you know what, Roger? Something that we are all seeing. I don't know about anybody in any other state, but here in California, you know, I think that there's thirty or forty percent more. Well, thirty to forty percent of the people are still wearing masks. Yeah, yeah, we got so it down here they too. They are already indoctrinated. You can't oh help you. Know, you can't you know, help I mean, them in the car, walking the street. You can't help those no, I people. Know. You know, best thing you when, can do for uh, them, you know, L. Best, best thing you can do for them is pray for them. Okay, because you can't help them. You can't get to them. Yes. No, you can't. So that's why you know how often do I tell you guys how absolutely much I care about each and every one of you. How many times have you heard me say that? Well, you, you're out. You're starting to find out why, aren't you? Yes. Yes. Daniel, were you were you on the, were you there yesterday? Did you hear me talk about Gary Kinghorn uh, on that show, the Herzog show? No, 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 on our show yesterday. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well he and I and, and I'll just tell you this in the open forum here. Uh, he his sister. He says sister lives in Nevada City. And he yep. said, but she's not like-minded like us, but I'm real good friends with the ex-mayor. And he gave his name, and he said, he is. So uh, that's another kind of con- my sister. No, I'm, I'm, I, without a doubt, see. So when I get a chance to get with Gary, I'm going to coordinate some of that with you, okay? Yeah. Oh, and I got a uh, I got an email from Michael Collum yesterday. Oh, good. What did, what did uh, well, it was real short. He wants, to, uh, he wants to file his affidavit. He wants to do another phone call. All right. Good. Okay. So he's read the book, obviously. It's sunk in. He's seen the light. And uh, so that is encouraging. And I've just been real busy the last couple of days with a lot of calls. But that did that email did call in, yes, come in yesterday. And I just told him we'll work it out and get, you know, figure out when our schedules and we can do it. Okay. Yeah, we get him to go. That could be the break. Well, I don't. You, we don't know his uh, uh, his contacts and his network, and but the things he said on the phone, we're talking about doing a Zoom call with a whole bunch of people on there to expose right. this to him, right. and then he's right. connected in, and it was at the last Red Pill conference up there in Indianapolis, so he's plugged into those guys too. And right. uh, so what we were talking about was either getting me a slot on a red pill uh, a conference or else going up there in his slot and uh, doing a, a little a little cameo with him. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it works out day to day, man. I mean, it's just come on, big guy. Open the door. I'm waiting. 
Okay. Yep. Yeah, uh, I'm ready. Before they hatch, but when they hatch, it's going right. to be one heck of a hatching. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't ready before, but by gosh, I feel like I'm ready now, you know. And I know one thing. I'm telling you guys, I've been telling you for a long time, they're scared as shit of this. Roger? Yes, sir. Hey, this is John from Wisconsin. Hey, John. Hey, um, just uh, I got a gazillion questions, but I'll just take them as at will because I don't want to monopolize your call. Well, no, look, it, it may be that a whole bunch of other people have those same questions. If there's nothing else coming over the bow here, let's do that. Okay, um, I want to. I'm just. I want to get my uh, citizenship, citizenship evidence affidavit out here in the next uh, couple of days. So, um, I'm looking uh, at one of the points that I was going to put in uh, my affidavit, and I was going to put. You know, wherefore I, John Andrew Glavin, being duly sworn hereby, declare my intent to be a national, but not a citizen of the United States. Now, would it be more appropriate? A couple questions. Would it be more appropriate to say a national, but not a citizen of the United States of America? Well, no, because the United States of America is a national. You're being redundant. A citizen of the United States, drop the of America, is a federal citizen. A state okay, citizen so. is the United States of America national. Okay, so just by me stating that I'm a national infers or directly implies that I am a, uh, just by saying a national, I am a citizen of the United okay, States let's of go, America. Okay, let's go back and look at this way, because I don't want you to just wrote, do this, I want you to learn it. Okay. Yeah. Let's look at it this way. I want you in your mind or on a piece of paper, if you got one, draw two uh, vertical lines. Okay. Now, what okay. we're going to do first is start out with the original. Okay. And you put God at the top. And you put if you were if, if you were uh, uh, you were under God's laws. Okay. And you were a state citizen because there wasn't a federal citizenship. And then you were a citizen of the United States of America. So it's God state citizen citizen of the united states of america okay if you're if you're a citizen of the united states of america then you are a national citizen aren't you correct you see how they're using this no no and i I understand that okay well let me finish i'm gonna show you the other side now now we're gonna go to the federal citizen on this line now you don't get your rights from god you get your civil rights from federal government and you're a citizen of the United States, a federal citizen, and you're a state citizen third, but if and only if you reside. See what they did? They flipped them. Right. Okay. No, and and I, I guess I, I would like to say that I do, I do understand that portion of it. What I'm saying is, as far as the stipulation goes, like when I say I, being duly sworn hereby, I declare my intent to be a national. Okay. Well, first of all, I, I'd put the without jurat in there. I've read. You know, you can do it with that simple sentence right there. That's right off their State Department policy document. Okay. I doctored it up a little bit. I put in. Are you aware of the two different jurats, John? Um, I may or may not. Okay. Be well, well, that's a, a jurat's penalty of perjury. Okay. Correct. And if you go to the United States Code, I believe it's Title 28, Section 1746. There's two jurats there in the United States Code. One of them says exactly what the other one says, but it doesn't have the words of America in it. Cool. Now, where they got that, let me tell you where they got it. 
they pulled it out of the slaughterhouse cases and the slaughterhouse cases the first impression case on the 14th amendment back in 1871 okay that's where the in the decision they're talking to the french butchers and they say you can't bring this to us because you're white french butchers this amendment was for uh black former slaves and what our powers are you know if you bring it's within and without and they use that difference i forget exactly how they're setting it up but the powers that you've got are without the uh the without the powers of the federal government and within the state of louisiana okay and so it's this within without and what they're referring to is the federal government jurisdiction Okay, and the one you want to go in and find the one that's without, and it simply says, "I swear under penalty of perjury of the United States, laws of the United States of America that all the foregoing is true and correct." That's all it says. Okay, correct. That, but that, but but it is the without jurat. So that further comes in to you because when you've made the decision in your mind that you're like Daniel, when I made the decision in my mind, I started instantly getting empowered. Okay, so once when you make the decision in your mind that that's what you want to be, all you're doing subsequently is filling out a paper that's official and sending it to them. Okay, so technically you are a national already. All right, and that just further buttresses. It probably wouldn't make any difference. It's just that I'm I'm into this enough and know all the nuances enough that I understand these things that most people don't. So I see that. Okay, now I've got a sample affidavit up on the website that's a little more expanded. I took that very simple sentence and said, I, John from Wisconsin, do solemnly swear under penalties of perjury the laws of the United States of America that I, uh, my intent to be a national with God-given constitutionally protected rights and not a citizen of the United States in a condition of voluntary servitude under the scope of the purview of the 14th Amendment. So it expands a little bit, puts a little sugar and stuff on top of it, but it's basically the same. Gotcha. Okay, now, the second suggested suggested paragraph deals with people that are particularly have a penis erectus for the IRS. Okay? And so now we put a second one in there. It's on the sample one. You come in and what the, uh-huh. you, you point out what they're doing at 1.1-1A and 26 CFR. And you go, I am non-resident to the residency and alien to the voluntary servitude status of the 14th Amendment, uh, uh-huh. deceptively identified at 26 CFR 1.1-1A as a non-resident alien. And now you're going to hit the IRS with that one along with a copy of that affidavit. But it's got the second paragraph in there. And, buddy, they know what that is. You don't need no damn explanation to them. These damn thieves know what that is. It's the slitting of their thieving throats. So that help you, John? It does, absolutely, and I appreciate that, Roger. So definitely use the, the jurat with uh, the United States of America. Um, and then just going back by saying, like, uh, I declare that I am a national, and I guess you know, obviously there would be a comma there, but not a citizen of the United States. By basically saying I am a national, I'm basically staying, by definition of a national, that I am a citizen of Wisconsin State. Yeah, but, but, yeah, all that's right, but they don't have that in any of this paperwork. This is where I come back to this cardinal rule. They've gone to great lengths to get us in this trap and hide it for a lot of decades. 
now we know how and now we know the magic words that they've used to accomplish that so why not just use their words they've got to recognize it or else take the mask off see our people want to come in well i'm an american state national once twice removed you know they always want to add shit to it you know right no it's a national they built the whole damn thing around one word national why not use that okay so i guess all i'm asking then just for clarity in my own mind is that national means wisconsin state citizen and citizen okay and then that's why you're saying national and then versus but not a citizen of the united states now that's a specific legal term okay let's go back to the 14th amendment you can tell if you really now that we know the end game we can see what they did we nobody's understood it because nobody knew the end game before okay couple of people along the way noticed it chief justice fuller and john harlan in the supreme court in 1898 noticed it john harlan noticed it a little while later in downs v bidwell with that great quote we have two forms of government at the bar he was a supreme court justice the other guy that noticed it was william t mcfadden in one of his speeches he said they're building a machiavellian feudal system they knew it but they didn't mcfadden had it more than more than they did okay because that was a little few a few decades later but nobody's really understood it because of all the complexity because of all the programming and because they didn't understand the end game well now that we know the end game let's go back and look at the 14th amendment john okay the 14th amendment all persons born or naturalized in the united states comma and subject to the jurisdiction thereof comma are citizens of the united states in the state wherein they reside that's first clause now what is that it's a two-pronged legal test the first prong is all persons. Now, that's legal persons. Do you receive your rights and duties from the 14th Amendment? All legal persons born or naturalized. Okay? So they, they do the bankruptcy. They throw the scheme and change the system. Now everybody's in that condition, right? It, they had the, You may not know this. The birth certificate law was passed in 1921 during the first depression they caused to try and consolidate the Federal Reserve. That's why they always pass this legislation in heightened times with people being distracted so they can slip it through. Okay, just example after example after example. This is their MO. Okay, so they bring in and they slip in the birth certificate in 21. Well, they know they're not going to pull the trigger for a number of years, but what are they doing there? They're setting up so they got a bank of birth certificates when they switch the system, they can attach them to the bonds got it yes okay so now when they switch the system everybody gets thrown in mass they've already got these birth certificates which are warehouse receipts now and being evidence of that so they could easily roll the financing of the country over and transition systems all right so now everybody's being born boom 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 all the parents all the kids the generations they're all being born into that status right there okay and so if you look at the first clause, all persons born or naturalized, well, they knew ahead of time. That's why I say that the Civil War was fought to do this. I know I can. I know these bastards like the back of my hand. Okay, so here it is. There's the first prong of the legal test. You got to be born. You got to be the person. You got to be born or naturalized in the United States. That's the first part. 
And now what's going on here is since the system has changed and you've got a birth certificate, even though it was fraudulent, underneath you got the birth certificate and that represents and and cures the first test oh well here's john let's see we got a birth certificate that represents the uh the presumption we're running under presumption law here that represents the presumption so he's qualified for the first test the second test is comma and subject to the jurisdiction thereof notice john it doesn't say our subject it says and that's the second prong of the test. So what's the second prong of the test? Well, it tells you in the rest of the amendment. Are citizens of the United States in the state wherein the re- you reside? Hey, John, you ever been asked if you're a citizen of the United States or a resident? <laughs> More times than I you see. Can you see how they got this thing set up? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. They knew this in the 1850s. Yeah. That's who we're dealing with. And see, I've come to understand that even heightens their terror of this being exposed because they got nowhere to hide for 170 years. 600,000 Americans killed each other. So so would you say, is it safe to say, Roger, that the second part of that two-prong test, R, is their way of you volunteering to be under their jurisdiction well, that's what you're doing they were in voluntary servitude right? right even though you were placed into it in fraud this is your consent the first question in essence they're asking you hey do you agree with the fraud that's gone on the bankruptcy and all that stuff and are you in the same status as these black slaves of civil rights yes Oh, by the way, do you consent to that fraud and allow us to govern you? Yes. Where do they get their power? That right there. Right. That's their power. We gave it to them. It's in a system of voluntary servitude. You've fraudulently given your consent. Take it away. So on on that same vein... I can't remember what the question was that I asked you yesterday, but then you came back with something. You gave me two options, and you said whatever I was asking. You said, is that definition in the blank sense or the political sense? What was that other? Resident. Is that a a geographical definition or political definition? Okay. Okay. why, why Why do we know that? Because you don't even have to go to a law library for this one, John. Just go to Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, okay, and look up the word resident. And here's the, here's the first two definitions. The act of, or fact of living or dwelling in a place for some time. That's the geographical definition. That's okay. the one we think, oh, am I a resident? I live right over there. Right? Okay. Okay, the second definition, get this. The act or fact of living or dwelling in a place for some time. The exact same definition. For the receipt of a benefit or the discharge of a duty. That's law. Yep, that, that's good. So the reason I brought up that second part of my question, Roger, is is it possible that they fail even on the first part of that first prong because it's all persons born or natural? Well, that, well that's, what, that's what you're telling them in the affidavit. I'm not that person. I don't receive any civil rights under the 14th Amendment. I owe no correlative duties, and I damn sure ain't in no voluntary servitude condition no more. You lying, thieving, slaving piece of human crap. Is that, do I put the 
human crap in the you can, I, shit i'd encourage you to but <laughs> well but i mean I, I thought about writing them a letter up there to the legal floor on seventh floor of the state department going i got you slaving pieces of shit <laughs> yep. by signing for signing it hugs and kisses <laughs> that's right i used to tell people you know tongue-in-cheek sign it like to the irs hugs and kisses paul well paul did that and they returned it or something i don't know <laughs> anyway try and keep it in form and uh because it might be admissible in court one day you never know uh no, no, but uh, yeah. uh, but it doesn't need to be long. It doesn't need to be simple. And it's not necessarily, although certainly important, the words, the concept is what's important here, John. You're re- sure. Everything is running under an auspices of a concept called legal presumption, presumption of law. And what right. presumption of law is, if you go look it up, it's a presumption based upon another fact. It doesn't say the other fact has to be legitimate, does it? It just says it's based on it. Well, see, and the whole thing's running on the presumption that we had a bankruptcy in 33, and we had this status, and they just conveniently flipped the system. Well, that's fraud. I guarantee there's fraud involved in that. Okay, multiple levels, no doubt. And then they take that, and the presumption is that you've been placed into the condition or your grandparents, and it's gone along the lineage. And I mean, hell, every time we ever asked Johnny, told us he was ignorance of the law is no excuse hell old john from wisconsin he ought to hell know what the hell he is shouldn't he <laughs> no. you see the deal? you see what's going on here so yeah. really there and there's uh, listen i used to do this a different way because i didn't understand it as well back then and so what we used to do is instruct people to say i'm not a black slave relation after the civil war so what you're doing is you're presenting the opposite side you're not telling them you're this you're telling them you're not that and since we know there's only two options they get paid a lot of money and big pensions up there hell let them figure out what you are and the reason for that legally is because it's almost impossible to disprove a negative right Okay, but now I've come to understand, hell, you just make the declaration. It's your declaration. Vittel's Law of Nations, the United Nations Charter, all kind of them say every man's got the right of personal and political self-determination. What does that mean? It means John's got the right to, to pick which system of law he wants to live under. They can't stop that because if they tell you what you are, they're open tyrants. A big no-no even though they love doing it and they found a way to do it under the covers. Okay. But now you're, you're either forcing them to do right and recognize it or take the mask off and act like a tyrant and let us have a little necktie party. Cause we're really anxious to get rid of some of our neckties. <laughs> exactly. I got too many in my closet. That's right. Oh. Well, there ain't too many corporate jobs left anymore that you can get. Yeah. You get that right. <laughs> so, Going back real quick, if I could, uh, uh, if you could humor me, Roger, um, um, on the, is it possible in your mind, do you think that on the first prong of the test, all persons born or naturalized in the United States, what I was getting at when I was asking if they fail on that part of the test too, because 
are they talking about the United States in the political sense or the geographical sense? Well, obviously, they don't have United States of America in that first clause. But you see, they knew they were going to take over everything. And they were going to – it doesn't – in the United States can have two meanings, in the District of Columbia or as it applies to federal citizens. And see, that's what they're doing is hooking you up to the federal citizenship here in the States. That's what the 13th Amendment's for. The 13th Amendment sets it up. The 14th Amendment pulls the trigger. Okay. Now, so, go, let's go back to the 13th Amendment. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall be uh, exist in any state if a person is not, is not duly convicted of a crime or any state or their jurisdictions. Now, that seems really innocent, and it seems real straightforward and good. But they left out voluntary servitude. Now, granted, there is a clause in the Constitution that says they can't impair your ability to contract. And a voluntary servitude is a contract. Okay? so But it leaves out that particular phrase, and it's legal by omission. And if you go to the end of that amendment, you see the word there. Plural. This is for the states. This is for the states so they could hook in the state citizens and do this trick to us with the 14th Amendment under all this shenanigans. They knew this in the 1850s, man. It's amazing. Let me tell you what. You hear all these people talking about how these guys are buffoons? You understand this? You think you're dealing with buffoons here? No, I, I and I hate that. I always try to correct people when they say that these people in, in Congress and at the high levels of the well, we're the, not talking about Congress. We're talking about the planners over there at the well, uh, Orient Lodge in Paris or London oh, or wherever the hell it is. Correct. No, absolutely. But at the for me, at the same token, it's at the people at, at the levels of Congress. I don't think they're stu- they're all Yale and Harvard graduates. Some of them might well, be that, ignorant, but they put, they have to be aware that they're part of this plan. Yeah, well, that doesn't make, necessarily mean they're smart. It means their family's got money or influence most times. Right. Okay? So don't let's not attach the significance to those institutions that they used to deserve and now don't. What it means is they learn stuff in school you weren't taught. So, okay, John, what else can we clear up for you? Um going back and again i'm trying to, to to cleanse my mind as we talked about some of our my old uh pre you, uh misconceptions have you, have you ever heard the mark twain quote i'm gonna paraphrase it a little bit it ain't what i know that's killing me it's what i know that ain't so <laughs> nope i've heard a lot of mark twain quotes but not that one yeah no. he, he had another one he has another one that fits right dovetails right in with this okay boy you're gonna like this one it's easier to fool a man than tell him he's been fooled. No, that I'm one. That's one I'm aware of, and that, tell me that's not true. Man, I can tell you it's true from now till the cows come home, and I ain't got no cows. <laughs> no, I believe you. I believe you. So, would you? Is it safe to say then? Because I, you know, whether you want to call it patriot or, or sovereign citizen stuff, don't call it anything. that. Oh, eh, eh, eh. Warning, Will Rogers. Don't call it that. No, 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 no. I'm not talking what we're doing. I'm talking about some stuff that I want to ask you about. Okay. I'm not talking any, I'm not talking what we're talking about. Absolutely dude, dude, not. Dude, not. You purge purge those that phrase out of your mind. Sovereign citizen. No, no. You, uh, correct. And I'm not okay. I'm not in any way conflating what we're doing with that. I just 
I just want to mention some things that I've had some potential misconceptions about, okay, that I want to rid myself of if, if in fact, uh, this, that's your position. Uh, such as, you know, like having a, I think you might have mentioned something about having a mailbox on your property. Well, I was facetious. Uh, I was being facetious, okay, because well, the only part, the only part of the mailbox that the federal government owns is the inside of it. Okay. So there's, you're not creating a nexus with being a U.S. citizen by having a mailbox. More, more patriot mythology. What's going on? We, we, you're learning how complex this is right now, John, right? Well, for 30 years, people have been trying to find this, and so they see two things that connect, and they attach them, and all of a sudden, it's gospel. Oh, you got a mailbox. It's federal property. That's jurisdiction. Well, that's not how they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I, I don't so think all these people had malintentions. I think okay. it's desperately looking for what we've got, and it's so well hidden, and they were ignorant, as most people are, of the law because they don't teach it in law schools for 100 years, and they they make these false connections. Here's another one. Oh, it says we're supposed to have admiralty law in the Constitution, so therefore it must be admiralty law. I can see how people can make that connection, but it's not right. Right. What about the nexus with the social security number? Is that there, there's, there's another one. Oh, everybody needs to have one of these, so that must be the nexus. Well, what about when they let you back in the old days? Hell, you didn't go get one till you were 18. So they let you go up to 18 without having jurisdictional nexus on it? You think that's the plan? Right. I mean, do you see how absurd some of these things are when you really look at them? But these are desperate people looking for answers to get the pressure off. They just didn't know we're dealing with a feudal system. That's what's missing in all those other guys. They don't under, and girls. They don't understand what they're fighting, and they don't understand the battle plan that's used. They think it's admiralty law. They think it's maritime law. Man, you're under the UCC. How do I know? I see the remedies. What remedies are they using, John? Lean, levy, garnishment, and seizure. Right? Correct. They don't have those remedies in admiralty law. Their remedies prize. That means I kick your ass and I take your stuff. Maritime law is totally different. They don't have lien, levy, garnishment, and seizure. The only places in the history of law where they used lien, levy, garnishment, and seizure is in the law merchant. We call it the UCC. And guess what they used in the feudal system on the manor, John? The law merchant. You're in the feudal system, in the federal feudal system. The system. You know what they leave out? The feudal system. They leave out the adjective. Gotcha. So, again, not to be redundant or anything. So, by putting your Social Security number on the form as an identifier so they can expedite the process. Well, I wouldn't. All right. Here's what. Here, let's, let's address that. I had it with an email last night. And you. Well, people can see your Social Security number screw you up, right? So we don't want to expose ourselves to that, even though you're sending it straight to the head screw-ups. Do you have a previous passport expired or active? No. Okay, well, if a person does, that's the number you should put in there because they've always got it in their database. Okay. If it's like you and you don't have one, Put your date of birth, your place of birth, and the last four digits of your Social Security number. 
Okay. Does that make you feel more comfortable? Yeah, and like I said, I don't care about put, if you say there's no nexus. I don't care about putting my social security number on there. I don't care if somebody sees it. Hey, I, Roger, well, I just you, send him a copy of my birth certificate. Well, there you go. You could send include a copy of the birth certificate too. Uh, you know, and we somebody came on the air recently with this. If you go to social security and they ask you, "Are you a national? Are you a citizen of the United States? Are you a national?" And when you under the national, there's a pull down menu, and it says, "What do you think it says, John? Which country?" So if anybody in the world can sign up for Social Security, does that give the federal government a nexus to the guy in Nepal that wants to sign up for Social Security? Can they go over and send EPA and and, 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 and all the rest of these agencies over and ding him? No. It's not a nexus, man. More patriot mythology. Let's bring back Mark Twain. It ain't what I know. It's what I know that ain't so that's killing me. Okay. Get that shit out of your mind, please, people. Okay. So same thing if I use a birth certificate, even though that so that birth certificate, would you say, Roger, does not represent the the de facto US citizen? Uh well no, it's serving two purposes here, see. It's under the presumption of the switch at the fraud and it represents the condition. It's not causing it, it's representing right. that you're in it. Okay, and then there's two layers of the birth certificate that they're using. They do a lot of these tricks with us. The first one is it's a document that if you wanted to send it to them, it could identify who you are at birth. Underneath, because it's the system and they got a property right in the baby that you don't know about, then they take it and use it as a warehouse receipt because the paper becomes the good. In law, you're now a piece of paper. That's why when it's generated at the Bureau of Vital Statistics, they go put it in an armed guard bank safe. Guards 24 hours a day, seven days a week, guarding a bunch of damn birth certificates in a bank safe. Why? Because you're in there represented by the paper. They're going to attach it to the collateral of the bonds, and, man, the IRS is going to be all over your ass to pay those bondholders. You want to talk about disruptive? This absolutely exposes and kills their whole damn system. Mm-hmm. They know it. Our people the ones that don't know it. Tim, Tim damn sure didn't know it last night. Okay? And wouldn't stop to listen. So does this nullify the, the value of the birth certificate? or does Well, it, I'm not. Uh, I, I have no idea about that. I'm interested in getting you guys free. I don't care about that shit. If you want to go chase money and think you're going to get them to pay you back some of this no, stuff. No, I'm not, you I'm, got, no, I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to everybody else. You go ahead right. and spend your time doing that. Okay? I've never seen anybody successful, but you go do it. Maybe you'll be the one. No, no. The, the angle I was going at with Roger was, is it nullifying the value to them? Well, I'm sure it doesn't put a hitch in their giddy-up real big. I mean, you're only one of 300 million, you know. Correct. Okay. Yeah. But it's more symbolic because it shows the exposure of them to them. And they're, well, I mean, they they can't do anything. The only thing, John, I've been doing this 11 and a half years with people, okay? First couple of years, a little bit, we didn't have any problems. And all of a sudden, people have problems, and they get a hold of me. They go, Roger, Roger, I got this letter. I got this letter. And so we saw a few of them over the years. They don't do them too much, although they brought a few lately. And they're all different, the letters, except for the first paragraph. 
First paragraph's always the same. It appears by what you've submitted, John, that you're a citizen of the United States. Then they quote the 14th Amendment, that first clause, and it says, this cannot be waived unilaterally, you lying pieces of shit, okay? God, these people are evil. And it goes blah, 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 except by operational law. It's always the last phrase in the first paragraph, except by operation of law. And so we used to write back and say, well, Vattel's law of nations says every man has the right of personal political self-determination. Is that lawful enough for you? Every time we've addressed any of those what I call bluff letters, everybody's gotten the paperwork that they bought and paid for and needed. So see what that is. Once again, as a, this is the, now this is important when you really analyze it. That little word trickery in that first paragraph, John, that's the best defense they've got. What was that uh, the law that you cited regarding the uh, your political status? That's Vattel's Law of Nations. Do you know about Vattel's Law of Nations? I've never heard of that. Okay, it was written in the 1700s. It, it basically every country in the world signed on to it, and they still adhere to it. Okay, and I'm show you how these guys adhere to that now. Every man has a right of personal political self-determination, right? That means you can go live under whatever set of laws in whatever country you want to. Can you still go to the federal government and expatriate? I mean, only tens of thousands of people have done it in the last 10 years because of the IRS. But they don't tell you you can repatriate to the national position, and they hide it in the oath behind the American Samoans, non-citizen nationals. See, here's another area of non-disclosure. They've got a duty to disclose, and they haven't done it. There's fraud right there. That certificate of non-citizen nationality we went over on that show last night. All U.S. citizens are U.S. nationals. So I asked people the four questions. Did you know you had a dual political status? No. Have you ever been asked if you're a national? No. Have you ever been asked if you're a citizen of the United States or a national? No. If not, why not? Non-full disclosure. There's first layer fraud right there. Then there's other layers under the bankruptcy, the Federal Reserve, the Civil War. Man, just layers and layers and layers of fraud. That answer your question? Yeah, I got that. So I Okay, now this is something else interesting. Let me bring this up. I'm glad you brought up Vittel. Early on, somebody sent me the pages of Vittel that deal with residency and residence. Every time that legal status is put forth in Vitell, he calls it a resident alien. He doesn't call it just residence. A resident alien because he understands how that word's used back in that time frame. Okay? A resident alien. You're resident someplace, but the laws that apply to you, therefore, are alien. You're alien to the place that you are because the laws of somewhere else apply to you. When you say you're a resident and they ask that question, no matter what state you're in, what you're really telling them is I'm under the laws of Washington, D.C. What they're really asking you in that question is, are you a new federal citizen residing in a state 
seeking protection from the federal government against any actions of your state because there's a lot of backlash against federal citizens back then but there the things that were going on were so egregious even the new citizens of the united states the black people hated it at that time 170 years ago so was that too much too quick for you No, I, mean, I I got that. Okay, good enough. All right, John, we'll go back to you since you were the motivator and instigator of this. What else can we do for you? Okay, I appreciate it. I just, well, if I could clarify before we move forward, clarify something on Vitell's Law of Nations. Was the takeaway or the, the important uh, premise uh, of Vitell's Law of Nations, did you say that every man has the right of self and political determination? No, every right has every man has the right of political self-determination. What that means, okay. interpreted, is John's got the right to decide what set of laws he wants to live under. It's his decision. If they're telling you you're going to live under these sets of laws, it's tyranny. See, there's the basis of this. You don't have to bring in any lawsuits, any law, any court cases, or anything else. If they tell you what you are, it's tyranny. That's why they've gone to all this trouble to jerry-rig all this stuff so they can fool you with the two questions to get your agreement. Now, ignorance of the law is no excuse. John ought to know what he is. He told us he's a damn slave. Well, we're going to go beat his ass. (laughs) You see what's going on? You gave him the power answering those two questions and okay in their fraud and giving them consent to govern you in that condition that's what's going on here they got no power they got a lot of money got a lot of influence they've stolen most of it obviously okay but they don't have the power until you give it to them or they steal it like they did in the last election um what would you, and again, I don't want to get into. I'm just bringing some of this stuff up, and I'm telling you where I got it from. Oh, John, from man, hey man, this is an open forum. I, I, you know, a lot of people are different stages here. We want to, you know, I want to teach the people that need the teaching, and that's why right. I encourage people to come on the air here because there's a whole bunch of people listening or going to listen later that they're going to get educated by this too. And if you and I did, a, hey, can I talk to you in private? Nobody hears but you and me. I can't service all of you. Right. I can well, service I, all of you here. I can't do it that way. Well, then I then I appreciate you allowing me in this forum, Roger, and I pray and hope that what I have to ask helps other people then. Well, so, that's why we're doing it this way, and it does. Okay. I'm looking, and I'm sure a lot of people, like myself, why I've been searching for this stuff um, since for my last journey of the last 20, 20 plus years um, was because of things that have happened to me you know either with the irs the court system so on and so forth so i'm assuming there's other people that are turning to you um because of similar situations so what i'm getting at is my, my prayer and my hope is that i'm when i get this done you know i'm in the i'm not in the middle i've I'm, I'm been fighting this foreclosure since 2009 and and like i said for the grace of god we're still in our home but it, what i'm my, my plan is is i get this filed and, and i put it into you know the court system and everything all it's that not, it's not going to work it ain't going to give you any relief there, I'm going to tell you right now. 
because all that stuff's ex post facto. You're already in those contracts. This doesn't undo those contracts. And these people and the way they act, if they've got you in a contract and you do get out of this, they're going to take a pound of flesh out of your backside on the way out. I'm a living testimony. They stole $35,000 from me at my house closing. And you know what I said, John? It hurt. It hurt real bad, okay? I had big plans for that, okay? And what I came to the conclusion of is, well, first of all, that's why we're here today. Secondly is $35,000 for the education I've got is pretty damn cheap, buddy. So what do you mean it's not going to work or they'll take a pound of flesh by me doing this? Well, I'm saying those are in contract. You sign the mortgage thing. They got all that fraud going on here all these years later. You come in and say, I'm a national now. Well, you weren't a national back then. But if this, again, that goes back to what I was talking about before, whether this is nung pro tonk or Well, you know, it may be, and it probably is, but you, but I don't have any cases anybody going in and being successful, bring it up in court. And if you want to try it, be my guest. Be, be, be the path leader for us. Show us the way. Well, that, then that's, that's my intent um, because, again, this is all about jurisdiction. They don't have jurisdiction now. Uh, you know, once I file this, if we're talking about a jurisdictional issue, well, um, that your your issue on your house is not your status. Your issue on the house is that they didn't loan you any money in the mortgage, and it was a fraud, fraudulent transaction. Now, do you understand okay. the way the monetary system works? Do you understand what oh, they're absolutely. doing there? They're absolutely. taking your promissory note. You sign it. A note is a promise to pay. They take it back to the financial institution, place it on the liability side of the ledger. Here, you've promised to pay them $350,000 over 30 years, and it's a liability? That's fraud. No. That's fraud. No, absolutely. Okay? Yep. And All I, right. I absolutely, I absolutely understand that I'm the creditor. Matter of fact, Roger, I've never heard anybody that's got the, what I've got in my possession I used to have a, a pretty high-profile tax attorney uh, that, I, that I used years and years ago. And I don't even know if he sent these intentional or design or if he understands what they were. But I actually have transcripts in my possession from the IRS that show that I am the creditor and the bank was the borrower. It literally uses that terminology mm, yep. on the IRS transcripts. Yep. yep. For the audience that doesn't understand this, so let me complete that so they're not left hanging. The process is whatever you buy, you sign a promissory note, car or whatever, you know, they bring it. That's a promise to pay. You signed it. It's now created legally a future income stream. That's got value. Okay. Now they take it back to the institution, and instead of putting it on the asset side because it's got value, they put it on the liability side. What? What? Now they discount it into the secondary market if it's a mortgage they all go to the federal reserve okay then the federal reserve gives them cash and the cash comes back and is placed on the asset side of the ledger to balance the books and that's what they pay the home builder with they never loaned you anything it's just like everything else they do it's totally sleight of hand and fraud now there have been people that have taken that to court and got free houses john okay now i don't know how they'd act now okay because so damn corrupt god look what's going on to alex jones for god's sakes but right but uh, in, in the oh yeah in a second in the old days i was working with tom Schaff, a cpa that discovered all this okay and and they people would take their houses in they bring up that argument the judge would put the case under seal and give them the keys to their house now who wants to say something 
Uh, that would be me. Okay. Uh, the, the guest formerly known as Meow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what the hell? If Prince can do it, so can I. Uh, do you listen to RBN? Me? Me? You're asking me? No, I'm asking John. Oh, John. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with RBN. I didn't, didn't Alex Jones used to uh, broadcast on RBN? No, 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 no. Boy, that's a no, no. <laughs> you're going in. You're going into no man's land, John. Yeah. No, that John. So you want? Let me get a hold. Of, I'm gonna hold. That. I'm gonna address that right there for the people that don't have the background here. John Statmiller bought the Republic Broadcasting Equipment from a. Uh, it, it had come from a, a magazine had owned it called Media Bypass. Some of you remember Media Bypass, a slick, good time like magazine, and. Um, they had gotten they were going to start some kind of a broadcast thing got rid of the equipment and um john statmiller got it i don't remember if he got it directly or indirectly through somebody else and alex jones was meteoric in the early days in our community and and so john went down and moved down to texas from michigan to try and hook up with him and i think ride on his coattails my my personal opinion okay and uh Man, all of a sudden, him and the two egos that big in one room don't work well, all right? And, boy, those guys had a bitter, bitter fight for years. And then Alex went on off, and John's died, so, of course, it's all under. But, no, Alex Jones was never on Republic. Okay. I'm, nonetheless, I am familiar with it. I've, I've listened to a lot of different broadcasts. But, anyway, go ahead, Paul. Okay. Well, well, what's the GCN bit, Roger? Pardon me? GCN did Stat Miller buy that first or something too, or they both came they they that? were working together. There was some connection there, Murr. I'm not sure the details, but there was. They used a, to have uh, Republic Radio International. I guess so. There's a huge split. Those two guys had a urinating match for the ages for a number of years. Okay, I heard John tell a story about that. Oh well, uh, well I'm okay. Well I'm okay. Whatever. You know that's not what we're here for. I just wanted to bring it up for John's clarification. So let's move on with the things we care about well, here. Let me say something real quick. Public Law ninety four dash two forty one section three o two. I declare I am not a U.S. citizen, but I am a national. It's from the ninety fourth Congress, nineteen seventy six. I think. Somebody that, mentioned Gerald Ford that, that very that, 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 ver office. that very well may be where that statement at the bottom of the page on certificate of non-citizen nationality came from, Dave. Right. And so you it says that you can declare in front of a judge. Oh, that's a, the Northern that, Mariana that's that's the Northern Mariana example, okay? It's a specific example. It states in Northern Mariana Islands, if before you're 18 or after you're 18, you can go in front of a judge and make this statement. Okay, so that's in that context. But we understand this and understand that that statement rebuts the presumption, and that's why I grabbed it and we use it. I yield. Okay, let's go on with our discussion. John and Paul, where were we? Uh, well, I don't remember what the name of the company is, but there's an advertiser on RBN that will look at your mortgage. Oh, that's right, there is. That's, that's a good will point. Look for fraud. Have you? Are you? Have you heard that spot over there, John? 
No, I have not. And well, I they always they always play it when I'm there on Sunday night. So when we're over there on Sunday night, listen up during the spot breaks, okay? And the girl okay. that does the spot, man, she must have taken an X lax and hiccup because she talks a mile a minute. They got a lot of stuff sure. to cover in that amount of time, but man, she's a fast talker. Mm-hmm. Well, what, I appreciate that, Paul. And, and then if I, you know, it, like I said, I don't always get on at, at, at that particular time because of, of family time and stuff. But if anybody has that information, but were you talking about the the uh, the, the he, they examine the note for fraud? Is that what you're talking they about? They examine everything. They examine okay. your, your title deed. They examine the mortgage. They do a title search on the property to see if they even had uh, the right to sell you the house in the first place. And uh, oftentimes, and uh, when they uncover fraud, uh, it does away with the uh, does away with the mortgage, and they just hand you the keys. I mean, you know, well, I, you you're familiar with this, John. You know what they did? They took and resold those mortgages over and over and over again, oh, or yeah. put them in different tranches and sold them internationally. You know, backed by bonds. But i i got them I got them one better. Um, I actually have the note, um, a cop a copy of the note, and I I've proven it except they won't listen that it's not see if, if you guys understand mortgage and, and mortgage transactions i know mortgage law and foreclosure law pretty much inside and out now because i've been doing this for 13 years now in my house and i actually the, the note that they submitted and i actually i have an attorney friend she was actually in court when i did this and she laughed she thought you know because I, I told the judge and i finally got this this is the third judge on the case and i said this note is so worthless. This, this, this demonst- what the what the plaintiff is demonstrating is their ownership and possession of the original note is so laughable. It's you ought to well as well use a comic strip or a cartoon because what they actually presented in court was a copy of a certified copy of another certified oh, copy. Uh, no, listen, of two other entities other than the entity that's trying to foreclose. <coughs> there you go. I mean, sold. The most, and they perjured themselves. Okay. Yeah, me, I mean, I've got them dead to rights. I'm, let, so, me, let me bring a phrase out and see if this resonates with you. The leaven of the Pharisees. Yeah, it's absolute. I know it. I put it this way. I got this. Finally, I got this in front of the Court of Appeals in Wisconsin. And the Court of Appeals, the cornerstone of my whole argument. Number one, if you guys understand, if everybody understands the 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 the, 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 the right to due process, how intricate it is. I've got so much case law, Wisconsin and United States Supreme Court that I filed in my case about not just my denial of due process, which makes the judgment in and of itself void. 100%. Absolutely. It's unequivocal that it's void. Number two, that everything's then I had a note to get this. So not only is it void based on the right, my right to due process, two of the most critical elements to make a judgment void ab initio is a lack of due process and the other one is lack of jurisdiction well, and, the, and the other is fraud correct absolutely and it is fraud they perjured themselves on the stand so they dance around my arguments not only this get this when the judge entered the judgment on my foreclosure the initial judgment we've had numerous judgments in this case because they keep going back the original judgment he entered while i had the case removed into federal court which under uh 28 usc 1441 D, it says it's just like a bankruptcy. If you file bankruptcy, the right. state court it, it, it stays all the other proceedings. Yeah. So it's the exact same effect. And they entered it. So not only did they deny me due process, they did not, they, they entered the judgment while the court was in, while the federal court 
was removed to federal court. Very, right. Uh, so this, the case wasn't under their jurisdiction anymore. You'd removed it to the feds. Yeah, uh, that's exactly. See, it's exactly the kind of crap they're doing to Alex Jones. I was just watching it from the trial yesterday. It's just a man. You talk about a travesty. That case will never stand at the appellate level. Austin, Texas is in the Fifth Circuit. That's in New Orleans. That's a very conservative circuit down there. This shit ain't going to go past that. I promise you. But it's going to cost him a bunch in between, and their object is not to do anything but get them off the air. Roger. Yes. Hey. Hey, this is Wayne. Wayne, my buddy. Where you been? I just listening, man. Listening yeah, to all these uh, smart people. Did you hear? Did you hear Tim last night? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, between him, uh, Pat from Fort Worth, and some other knucklehead, I mean, it was a total waste of time having them on, but. Uh, it's Michael's show. I guess he can do whatever he wants. But I, I was going to mention something uh, about that show. But I did want to bring something also to John's attention. And uh, on that platform, Talk Shoe, uh, yep, there's I'm a show called that. My Private Audio. Oh, yeah. And, I'm familiar uh, with that from years ago. Yeah. Now, there was a guy she brought on there every few weeks. His name was Dan Benham, B-E-N-H-A-M. He's out of Michigan. He is a tremendous legal researcher. I mean, this guy is wickedly smart. He's up on Roger's level almost. Almost, not quite. But anyway, the key thing about Dan was... Besitos. <laughs> the anyway, thing about Dan is he saved his house on uh, from foreclosure by proving, I think, it's fraud. Now, what, again, I'm going off memory, so I could be kind of wrong here, but I think he proved the transaction was fraud because essentially those mortgages are a trust. It creates a trust situation. You know, you got a trustee and everything, but they don't disclose that. So Dan used that, I think, that argument and, again, some other things he threw in to make uh, to make it uh, prob- practical for him to save his house. So if you go back to uh, my, uh, my private audio uh, and check some of the shows, uh, I think I even have some of the links that I saved. I have to go digging for them. But Dan Benham is brilliant. And again, he's a tremendous researcher on taxes and mortgages. So if you can look that up, fine. If not, uh, figure out a way to contact me. I'll try to dig up the information and send it to you. But this guy is worth every minute listening to. His delivery is great, very smart, and he lays it out very methodically so people can understand what he's doing. Now, John, let me throw another option in there for you. You Have you heard Brent? Um, I I may have. Well, Brent's an attorney. And and you may want to contact him and run this past him too. Is there a way I could contact uh, him? Yeah, go to common com, commonlawyer dot com, commonlawyer dot com, okay. and over uh, there's a contact button up at the top, and just send him an email if you want. I can send him a side message and tell him to look for it, and then he'll be with us Friday. He'll be with mm-hmm. us day after tomorrow. Oh, that would be awesome because. I think what they're doing, to be honest with you guys, um, and the gentleman, if there's a way that the gentleman that just spoke about this Dan Benham, I, I'd love to, you know, if he's got any information with that Dan Benham. But just to be honest with you, um, I, I believe what they're doing is they think they can get away with this because I'm not represented by an attorney. We have an attorney. I've been using some of the case law from an attorney in Wisconsin um, that just slammed these guys left and right, these banks, just crushing them inside and out on these foreclosures. And I've been using some of his case law at the appellate and Supreme Court level. And this this attorney, I have another attorney friend, and she knows this guy personally. He has just disappeared, vanished. You call his office, nothing. He's just gone. Yeah. So whether 
bribed or threatened or what, but this guy literally was taking him to court, making the same arguments that I'm making because I'm using his same arguments, and I my case is as good or better than these guys' cases, and he's just lambasting them, and they're just ignoring when I well, like, I'm going to give you a case in point. That's why I'd love to talk to this Brent, because if I could get an attorney to ha- help handle this, um, these guys, I, the appellate court, you wouldn't believe it. When I brought up my argument in the Court of Appeals, um, this, the, the Court of Appeals would not even say the word note because if they brought up the note issue, they knew they'd have to address my argument, and it's over. They wouldn't say the right. word note, well, and that was the cornerstone of my argument. I've never seen an appellate court case or any case of any kind that didn't address the the central the, argument right. of a litigant ever. Okay, now what I'm going to suggest you do is look, look into all these options. Look into Brent, look into these people on RBN, and look into these people Wayne's telling us about and find the one that fits you best, okay? Okay. Yeah, I have, I have, I have no doubt that that God led me here and and god no you're I mean, not you're not the first one that's come here through that through that conduit my friend because i i believe i got a jurisdictional issue where these guys whether you, i get the whole idea about this contract even though the contract is fraud and i've got them dead to rights but they don't i, I don't believe that they're going to have jurisdiction to tell me to get off my property or anything how is this any different than a than a speeding ticket or anything else you know what i'm saying that they don't have but, jurisdiction well, yeah, but, but but you changing at this late of the game after all these years is not going to change everything. The water that's under the bridge already—that's the problem. Okay, so now I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, I had a Jewish Roger. Roommate. Can you hold for just a second? And yeah. John, I don't think you said this, Roger. Um, Brent Winters is on with Roger every Friday. The lawyer that he's referring to. Yeah, and I've got him scheduled for Sunday night on RBN too, uh, and I'm going to have Brent go over soup to nuts of the common law on sunday night for folks in this and interestingly enough thank you ma'am interestingly enough common law says and i think i maybe have brought this up i was denied my common law right to a trial by jury you don't have any common law rights you're a serf yeah but i will now well but but see that doesn't change everything that's gone on already yeah yeah, it doesn't grant. You're thinking this that. is retroactive, and it's not. You're dealing, they're not going to let you out of it retroactively. Samuel, what you got? Yeah, Mel Stamper has a chapter in his book called A House for Free. He may want to get that book and read what Mel's take is on it. Okay. Um, are you, are you, let me ask John, are you familiar with Mel Stamper, Fruit from a Poisonous Tree? I, I've heard the name. He was a former attorney, U.S. attorney. He's a former judge, okay? federal judge right and in in that book he covers a number of things like that um and of course the first thing he does in the book is he uh he writes a a letter to the secretary of state removing himself as a citizen this is key to all the things that we do regardless of whether they're past or present you got to change that status man just got to do it okay yeah now, now, I want to go back to my story for John and the audience here. Um, the guy that got me my job teaching was somebody I knew in the record business, and uh, he, uh, he he was my roommate at the time, and he knew I needed a job because I'd lost a previous one, you know. As my old friend Riggins used to say, hell, I was looking for a job when I found this one. And so uh, 
uh, he, he, he had been moved up to the head of the department and he had been a teacher of those subjects and I was living with him and I had all the background and requirements. He said, well, you want this job? Well, hell, I'd never even considered teaching, you know? And, uh, so anyway, Lewis, his name is Lewis Lee. Wow. And he used to, he was a blonde hair, blue eyed Jew. And he used to proudly say we're the only Lee Wiles in the New York city phone book. Okay. And so, uh, Lewis, when he was young, he was an only child. His parents had bought him a set of encyclopedias and he had all that crap in my basement. When he moved, he left it all. Thank you, Lewis. And so I'm down there getting ready to sell the house and cleaning all that crap out. And I run on this whole set of old encyclopedias from the twenties or thirties, twenties, probably. And, uh, what I'm apt to do, if I get a reference book like that, there's two things I'm going to look at Jew and resident, those two words. Okay. And so I pick up the J book and I'm looking, well, there's like 20 or 30 pages of Jew in this encyclopedia. And so I wish I'd have saved it really, but I, the thing I take away from that, and I'm reading it and it said they were hated in Russia. Why do you think they were hated in Russia, John? Stealing people's houses. Okay. This ain't nothing new for these folks. Right. No, I, I believe it. I believe it. Um, so yeah, no. I, and I, like I said, I, I, I think I, I, I got some good grounds. Um, I get, I know you're looking at it from a different angle. Well, we gave um, you three real good leads that could all be productive for you. So go, go off and chase those and let us know what you find out. But I'd encourage you to look into all four of them now with the Mel Stampler book. Right. I might have another suggestion. Okay. Uh, I don't know if, if anyone's familiar with a conditional acceptance. I've heard not of that, higher. but I'm not sure what it is. It's basically like a, uh, it's like an acceptance letter. Uh, I, I just did this with my landlord because he wanted to raise the rent or evict me. And I wrote a letter of acceptance, accepting the raise in rent and, uh, or the notice to quit under certain conditions. And then I listed out, uh, he had to prove certain claims. Like you have to prove that I'm paying with lawful money. Uh, he had to prove that, um, you know, like I, I'm, I'm in New Jersey. So in Jersey, um, the landlord by law has to take the security deposit, put it into a, a, a savings account. And then at the end of the year, pay you the interest from that. Really? Uh, which, yeah. Yeah. They have to pay you the interest because technically it's your money. Well, but yeah. they also have to supply you the, all the information with um, what bank it was in, you know, how much is in there, how much. And every month they're supposed to supply you with the interest amount. And then at the end of the year, they, they can give you the option to either pay you the interest or uh, have it go towards the rent. Okay, Joe, I'm going to stop you. Have you. Has he been sure. doing that with you to this point? Nope. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so in that, I wrote that as one of the proof of claims. And then I did a few other ones. He wanted to raise the rent $200 on me. And in the state of New Jersey, that's, you know, they, they don't have a set number for what's unconscionable, but b basically it says the, the, the tenant has the right to refuse a, a pay and rent if the rent increase is unconscionable. So $200 seemed a little steep. So that's a lot for. What know, was the percentage? How much of a percentage of your current rent was that uh, a rise? 20%, uh, 40? 
That was about maybe nine percent. Okay. I, I can do the math. Okay. Well, but, no problem. I'm just I'm just curious. Go ahead. Don't no let me distract. They you. don't. In, in but they said that it, it, there's a few stipulations with that. I think it's like it has to be a percentage of whatever increases occurring with the the areas uh, percentage r- rates go uh, up. Well, which I found that was seven percent. But because I pay my own utilities, it's only three quarters of that seven percent. Okay. So it came out to when I did the math, I was like, he could have raised it about seventy dollars, and that would have been okay. But he raised it two hundred. Okay. So, well, I, li- I like the fact that you're confronting him on this. You've obviously done some research on it and come up with a gem or two that you already told us about. Go ahead. So, in the conditional acceptance, I write it up. It's almost like an affidavit, right? Because I write it up, I get it notarized, and I put on it witnesses, which is the attorney general of the state and the attorney general of the United States. Now, did they witness it? Yeah, well, yeah, I sent it to them, certified mail. I wrote the okay, certified you, mail number down you, in the notice. You served them with it. Essentially, right. Okay. So I served everybody with it. Him, and then once he got that one, he just sent me a notice to, to quit. He basically said, I'm out at the end of the month. And so I wrote another conditional acceptance about that, and then he's been pretty much silent. Like, he tried to write something to prove the claims, but basically he just said that none of them were valid. But um, frivolous, they're frivolous. Yeah, that's he that's might, he might be a retired IRS guy. <laughs> no, he's uh, he's like a, he's like an IT guy or something, something like that. He does work with computers, but um, you know, he, I think he kind of felt like they must he must have. I think he called a lawyer or something, asked him for help. Um, you you he bet he did because he didn't know he didn't even respond to the first one, he just kind of ignored it and then sent out that letter saying to just get out. And I said, you have to list out the the A through R in, in New Jersey, A through R, the eviction reasons. And he said that I refused to pay the rent. So I thought that was kind of funny because I didn't refuse it because it's a it's an acceptance letter. So even even in the courts, the courts would recognize that he never refused to pay the rent. He said he would do it conditionally. He conditionally accepted. So even in that case, I'm protected at least on that end. But in the case of like uh, like a foreclosure or something like that, you know, you could always write in the conditional acceptance, hey, prove that you did not sell this promissory note at, at face value, right? Or you did not redeem promissory note from the Federal Reserve, which they, they do. I have the, uh, I have, I actually have a book about the Federal Reserve. Uh, it's the Federal Reserve guidebook for the banks, uh, how, the, how they work together which I found very interesting, but they talk about basically what the banks do is they take the promissory notes, they send it to the federal reserve and the federal reserve, uh, then credits the bank for that amount of money. Correct. At a discount and, from the face value of the note. Yeah. So there's a bunch of things you can do in, in a conditional acceptance on a, on a mortgage or a foreclosure where you could ask for, you say proof of claim. I conditionally accept, you know, this foreclosure. If, you can prove this claim, prove that you did not redeem this uh, promissory note with the Federal Reserve and already get paid. You could also say proof of claim, uh, show my wet ink signature on the promissory note, right? Or on the on the you know on the agreement that we had. You have to actually show like that that physical copy of the signature. No, my under- yeah. No, no, I appreciate that. Absolutely, I'm, I'm actually. Uh- familiar with with the conditional acceptance i actually had 
I used to spend, I used to know the guy, Brandon something or other, that used to teach it. He was like the pioneer of that stuff back 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, so I am familiar with it, and I have used it at times. Um, the problem I'm having is is they just seem to be ignoring everything. Well, they are, because um, we're, we're dealing with, obviously, a corrupt system, and they know they've been caught, and they know it's guilty. You know, I ran across a Thomas Jefferson quote that shows me that he understood this scam because his statement was no discounting of notes. Now, do you understand the difference in that discounting of notes, and that's where the whole scheme is hinging on? Because all that does is just get a pipeline where they're throwing things back and forth. In the old days, like It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart, okay, the banks held the paper. There was no discounting. So when you did a mortgage with your local financial institution, they held the paper and you did the service to them. Now they're discounting it and allowing them to do all this crap they've done. But it's that discounting of notes that allows them to perpetuate this monetary system the way it is. I had a, a listener, a black listener, years, a couple of years ago called in. What happened was we got this information into a group of black folks who were fighting the IRS up in Winston-Salem area must have been about 20 of them okay and one of the guys called in got a hold of this and then it spread through their connections and a guy calls in his name's eric cade uh I, I he was a really really good guy i really liked him and uh eric uh very very uh, educated very articulate and eric called in and he goes well how, he said this is how i got turned on to this he used to be a mortgage broker okay and he was sitting with some friend of his at a more at a closing firm, you know, a law firm that closes those things one day and talking to her as she's processing the day's promissory notes. And he said he's sitting there watching her and she's turning them over and stamping them, turning over and stamping them. And he goes, let me see one of those. What do you think the stamp was for deposit in the Federal Reserve Bank? Wow. Okay, so if, but it's this this thing we're talking about this discounting of notes is where the where the monkey is in the woodpile because it gives them hey, uh, uh, always access to the the bank may not have been able to loan you the money for the a mortgage but now they don't own it anymore they got the money back and they can just turn this stuff over here's another little tip i'll get you a second alan do you know that there was never anything but 10-year mortgages up until 1933 Alan, what you got? I was just going to say the fellow was talking about the the book from the Federal Reserve. You may want to tell him about Eustace Mullins's book. He may want to read it. Oh well, he was talking about an internal thing from the Federal Reserve, not well, an, an outside. It's a booklet. I I I forgot the name of it. Hold on, I'll pull it up. I'm right in front of my so, computer. I understand that, but he needs to read Eustace Mullins's book on the Federal Reserve. Well, that I mean, it, be a good it's an excellent book, no doubt about it. Yeah. What's that book called? Secrets of the Federal Reserve by Eustace Mullins. The John Birch Society contracted with G. Edward Griffin to write The Creature from Jekyll Island because Eustace Mullins points out the Zionists and Edward Griffin doesn't. Okay. Okay, I got it. Uh, now, now that that book is really interesting. Do you know the background on it, Joe? 
No, no, I, I've never heard of it until just now. You've never heard of Eustace Mullins? No. Oh, my God. He's one of the patriarchs <laughs> of our movement. I'm not kidding you. Okay, I, I had the pleasure of meeting him and hearing him speak in person several times. Okay, just a genuine, some of his videos. Wonderful, awesome. wonderful man. And here's his story: Eustace Mullins, when he was in college, had a professor that knew a guy named Ezra Pound. Have you ever heard of Ezra Pound, Joe? I've heard the name before. Yeah. Okay, Ezra Pound was a real thorn in their side back in World War II era. But Ezra Pound knew what was going on here. And when they started the war, he went over to Italy and set himself up a big shortwave compound and was broadcasting shortwave back telling the truth to the United States. Roosevelt sent a squad to Italy to kidnap him, bring him back to the United States, and they threw him into an insane asylum outside Washington, D.C. called St. Elizabeth's. And he was in there. Eustace's professor knew Ezra Pound. And so he had Eustace go over there every Friday afternoon, and they'd spend three or four hours together, and Ezra filled him in on all what was going on. Now, his side job, Eustace's at that time, was he was a page at the Library of Congress. And so he could go down in the bowels of the Library of Congress where they got documents that have not been publicly filed and rifle through those documents. And so Ezra would turn him on to it and bird dog him, and, 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 and Eustace would go in and start doing all the research, okay? At one point, he knew the Library of Congress so well that down in the basement there's a room, a couple of rooms you could use as an apartment, shower and bed and all that stuff. And so what he'd do on Friday afternoons is he'd go down there in that room, and they'd close up the Library of Congress, and he had the whole damn thing to himself for the weekend okay and that's where a lot of this information came from and he wrote came back and his first book was secrets of the federal reserve they had he had 21 publishers in new york sign a contract to publish that book and every one of them called the next day and canceled the contract he eventually had to go to germany to get it printed and when they had the book printed on pallets at the tarmac getting ready to be loaded into the plane to be shipped back to the u.s the german government seized it and burned them it's the only books that have been burned in germany since hitler burned all that tomb and that pornographic crap that's the history of this book Mm. he's got a bunch of other ones curse of canaan he's got a law book on the laws he beat irs and everything murder by injection murder by injection is absolute is the only history of the ama that's ever been written familiarize yourself with eustace mullins he was one great human being and a fantastic american joe Well, they don't talk very kindly about him online. I'll tell you that. No kidding. <laughs> Hell, they they tried to burn. They tried to kill him one night when he was on the road by burning down the hotel he was in. Wow. You know, Houston Mullins. Uh, he he publicly stated that Griffin plagiarized his book and that he watered it down on purpose. Yep. He, uh, because John Birch Society is a counter-control organization, they hired Griffin to cover up secrets of the Federal Reserve because he talked about the Zionists in there. I mean, you know, the John Birch Society, supposedly founded to fought communism, the guy that founded the John Birch Society is named Robert Welch. 
he was the heir to the welch candy fortune you know those little peppermints with the red and white twirls joe Mm -hmm. those are that's welch okay he sold the welch candy company to guess who the rockefellers and to this day the john birch society has overdraft protection at the rockefeller bank so there was a guy named jack moore have you ever heard of him joe colonel jack moore Mm. he was the first guy released we're fighting communism john birch is set up to fight communism the the reason is john birch is that that was a guy fought communists over in china okay and so uh when 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 uh, colonel jack moore got released from the koreans and they do stuff for him i heard him talk he and and he said they at least i think 10 or 13 times they told him he's going to be executed they gave him his last meal they blindfold him give him the last cigarette or whatever put him out in the courtyard and 21 rifles ready aim fire and they'd fall on empty chambers they did that at least 10 to 13 times to him okay when he finally was released he comes back well john birch is fighting communism here's the guy that's released from the communists with all these great stories so he becomes the number one speaker on the john birch society's speaker list he's in the middle of a tour he's from arkansas i believe he was in little rock and that's the first time he realized about the zionism connection and he talked about it in that speech in little rock that night and the next day he was pulled off the john birch society tour and kicked out of the society. They're a counter-control organization. So are you are you saying did I mis misunderstand you, Roger? Or are you saying that uh, um, G. Edward Griffin has been used as controlled opposition? Or it's it's gonna, that's not what I'm saying. It's what Eustace Mullins is saying. Was so when he was alive. Before you go for the Red Pill University. Okay. I mean, listen, there's so many crooks in this damn thing, so many placed agents like this, so much hidden information, so surreptitiously and guilty. I mean, come on. That's who we're dealing with here. You know, I, I get, Roger, what you're saying about, you know, as a, as a U.S. citizen, you have no um, constitutional rights. Um, no, no, no. Ho, ho, ho. You got constitutional rights. Okay, John, I'm going to ask the same question I asked Michael last night. What rights does the Constitution give you? Are you including the Bill of Rights? Well, any of them. What, what ones of them does it give you? Well, you name it. I mean, the most well, yeah, Those ones. aren't rights. They're not giving you anything. Those are protections. Shall not be infringed. That's a protection. The only okay, rights so the, the document. The Hold on, I'm gonna straighten you out. The only okay. doc. The only rights the the document gives you are civil rights under the Fourteenth Amendment. All the rest of it is protections for people with God-given rights. And people Correct, that use that. I, people that use that phrase, constitutional rights. Well, but you're not gonna take away my civil rights. They're the only rights the document gives you: civil rights under the Fourteenth Amendment. So, right there. So, hey, Roger. All right. Just a whole second, Bob. Let's get this cleared up. I'm sure Bob's got something to pick about. Go ahead. But you understand the difference there? And the re that's so important. I mean, listen, all the commentators, all the congressmen, our best lawyers, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, uh, that all these, uh, Robert Barnes, all these guys, constitutional rights, constitutional rights. 
The only rights the document gives you is the 14th Amendment civil rights. So you always need to stipulate God-given rights with constitutional protections. Correct. Bob, we had not heard from you since old Blue was a pup. How you doing? Not too bad, not too bad. I just had a couple of things I wanted to mention about 45 minutes ago, and i just been biting my tongue. <laughs> oh, God, I wish I hadn't said that word. Okay, I won't... Biden? Biden you don't want a Biden? <laughs> <laughs> it, it must have been a Freudian slip. It must have been. Go okay. ahead. Anyway, anyway. You were biding your time. <laughs> there you go. Going back years to 16 when I got mine uh, submitted and returned, they not only sent me a bluff letter, but if you recall... Some gal from the State Department That's actually right. called me at home. Only two times and we ever I, had a phone call follow-up on this, and this is one of them. Go ahead, Bob. Tried to talk me out of it. And she says, well, you know, we we got your answer and all back for a letter, but, you know, the same thing still applies. And, you know, you're, you're, you're a U.S. citizen, according to all that. I said, well, here's the deal. Is it in my permanent file? Is it permanently in my personal file? She said, "Yes, of course." I said, "Well, then I don't care what you call me. Just send me my passport. I know what I am." And that basically shut her down. And she said, "Okay, good day." And we parted company. And I got my passport two or three weeks later. I don't recall, but I just thought it was interesting. For all of you that are obsessing over the return receipt green card. The rubber meets the road in your administrative file and that document being in there. That's rubber on road right there. Why? That is correct. Why? Why? Because once it's in the possession of the secretary, we know this from an 1835 Supreme Court case, once it's in the possession of the secretary, if it's considered to be legal evidence, should be considered the higher and better form of the evidence. That's why I tell you all to do affidavits. They can't deny the legitimacy of an affidavit. Something I included then in you were going over Vitell, and I included that in my affidavit, but another item that I put in, and I cannot come up with the number of it. I even did a little quick search on my phone, but I didn't come up with it. Bill Clinton signed an executive order. That's right. And it states the same, yep. that... The people of the state, I think, I could be wrong, but the bottom line is, if it agrees with Patel, you've got the right. Now, here's the thing. I don't put a lot of stock in executive orders because as a U.S. national or as a national, they don't even apply to me because I'm out of that system. But the bottom line is, he's writing it to the service, and it's hidden in there and says you have the right for political self-determination. So I included that. And uh, along with a few other things. And, you know, you were talking about the fact that Vattel used the term resident only as resident alien. alien. Right. Exactly. And the fact is that if you become a U.S. national, if you declare that status, you are, in fact, a resident alien. And your residency, as you have said many times, is somewhere else. You're simply there in residence. And the thing is, your residence, your residency is in heaven, and it is not tied to the state. 
and that's a bitter pill for them to swallow, but they grudgingly do, but only if you're smart enough or wise enough or uh, have been led to understand it. They're not going to hold up the prize and say, see here, you can have this. No, no, no. <laughs> They're going to make you dig. And lastly, the idea of religion, freedom of religion, and this ties back into the idea of what system you want to be under. Do you want to be a U.S. national? Do you want to be, uh, just say national, do you want to be a serf? It's your choice. And in the Constitution, in, well, more, more precisely, in the uh, concept of the founders, and if you go back to the dictionaries of the day, Religion was defined entirely differently than our concept now of which religion are you? Well, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a Methodist, I'm a you know, Presbyterian, I'm a Quaker, I'm whatever, I'm a Confucian. No, that's not what religion meant to them, and they weren't writing in that context. Religion was what society you wanted to live in. Did you want to take care of your people through a commonwealth, through family, through you know, a uh, commune? Any of that was legal. Any of that was lawful. You had freedom of association. That's why freedom of association and freedom of religion are all tied up in the First Amendment. Because they're the same thing. They weren't talking about whether or not you were a Quaker or an Anglican. They were talking about how you wanted to take care of yourself, how you wanted to perpetuate society's benefits to others, whether it was going to be through top-down or laterally side to side where people took care of each other and i'll propose that that is absolutely the form that our lord put forward well, now, now you see you're down. getting back to corban and and that system with the pharisees oh, yeah. now okay oh yeah yes indeed anyway, bob that's my bob have you heard of that new denomination the frisbyterians no <laughs> enlighten me well they think that when you die your soul turns into a frisbee and ends up on the roof <laughs> well, there you go <laughs> but you know in this crazy world yeah, what would you expect right <laughs> why not why not yeah well um john thinking of Bob, speaking of presbyterians although you didn't quite you were alluding to that idea yes i, I grew up as a presbyterian and i told you i told the audience before but I know there's a lot, of new, a lot of new listeners in talking with Brent. You know, Presbyterianism was well, well represented in the colonial times. It was one of the dominant, uh, I'll say it this way, religions, because that's a lot of context to use. But it was one of the faiths that was well represented in the colonies. And I have held for decades, Louisville, Kentucky is where the uh, United States, uh, the mainline Presbyterian denomination is located. And when they couldn't figure out what was between their legs and whether or not, you know, they were supposed to uh, ordain gay or screw that queer priests or pastors or, Sod or sodomite, sodomites. I, I signed off because I was pretty confident I could, I could identify what I had between mine. So I couldn't live there anymore, and it it occurred to me at that time that the demise of the modern Presbyterian Church, and this, this isn't Presbyterian Church in America, uh, that's a much more reform-oriented uh, 
originalist concept, but PCUSA and Louisville, they're pathetic. And yeah. it occurred to me that the demise of our national government, and of course at that time I didn't understand national government the way I do now, that it's subservient to the state, but the demise of our national government, or I should say the rise of the administrative state, it's the same thing, was exactly paralleled in what was happening in Louisville. We had committees that ruled our lives in the synods where the congregation should have been sacrosanct, but yet was subject to higher and yet higher and yet higher tiered authorities that had no concept of what was going on in the pew, so to speak. And that's the same thing. It parallels exactly, in my opinion, euphemistically or, or metaphorically, the demise of our national government. Let's yeah. consign more and more power to useless bureaucrats that have no concept of anything but a pension and lifetime retirement and insurance and security and, oh, yeah, well, this is what I do for eight hours a day and you guys make it happen, so bow down and worship. You know, Bob, years ago okay. when, I, when I was in my fact-finding period i used to haunt yep. used bookstores okay and i found a, a bunch of real good books yeah. in there one of them was a spiral plastic bound thing it had been reproduced boy i still wish i had it okay and uh it was written by an attorney in the 40s i believe in st louis and it, what you're talking about right here was the whole topic of that book was before 33 and the change, all of the people used to be taken care of through church groups, through private organizations for the people that were needy. Family. And they, they, they did, Roosevelt dismantled every bit of that and ran this state mechanism in. Yep, yep, yep. Family was important for a reason. It's the basis of our whole society. Yep. And we exclude that, we get away from that, we marginalize that through government and I use that term advisedly, we use it or we, we do all of that to our peril as a nation, as a people, as a community, as a society, because without that foundational building block, you've got nothing. Yep. And what one and you take the family out of the equation. And John John and the newer folks aren't privy to this. We hadn't gone into it uh recently anyway on Corban and and the research Brent brought this to the light for us from his own Bible, good Lord, in the footnotes. This is the exact the social security system was the same thing the Pharisees Pharisee had instituted in Jesus' time. They've just what we're dealing with today is the modern day Pharisees, okay? And it's evidenced by two days ago. Guess what the Biden administration did? Changed the definition of inflation, so we're not not having inflation anymore. It's typical Pharisee crap. Inflation mm -hmm. or recession or something. My daughters were actually going over that. Uh, the three of them, mom's away on vacation, and so I've been in charge, so to speak. And believe me, that's no. Uh, <laughs> That's debatable. <laughs> anyway, they had they brought up the fact that they'd seen on some news feed that the White House, the administration, whatever, had changed, and in their words, it was recession. They changed the definition of recession, and they said, what does that even mean? Why do they care? I said, well, it's simple. I mean, they're, they're grading on the curve. You keep changing the rules, and you can make anybody look like an A student, you know? I mean, I mean well, well, what about when they changed the vaccination definition so they could run this jab in on us? 
Oh, hey, Roger, you got a hand up. Uh, well, all right. Well, I got yeah, Daryl. Daryl's breathing down there. my neck, too, so we don't have much time. I'm going to defer to Mr. Daryl first. It's all semantics, and Daryl is well aware of that. He's anti-semantic. He's told me. Captain, what you got? <laughs> well, that's a joke. Uh, real, real quick on uh, Vitell's Law Nation. If anybody has the book, go to page 220. And start on section 219. It talks about vagrants and whether a person may quit his country. You can start reading there and knock yourself out. You'll get an education. Uh, that's out of Vattel's Law of Nations. And secondly, uh, you covered a lot today, but uh, on the civil rights issue, conceptually, uh, all the arguments. Uh, that are made at the Supreme Court level about all, all these issues, and even and even uh, in federal courts, these are all these these don't associate. It, it doesn't it doesn't associate. They're not associated with uh, the Bill of, Bill of Rights. These, these are all these arguments are brought in with civil rights, which is where they've weaponized. The purposes of civil rights was to weaponize it into other subcategories and subcategories and subgroups, uh, which is this ongoing continual uh, degradation, uh, which is the next one coming is pedophilia and bestiality. And they, they can't do that under, under God-given law. They have to do it under uh, civil law. And so this is, this is another reason why conceptually understanding this is so important. Uh, uh, but uh, hopefully that that makes a <coughs> makes a point. But uh, maybe that'll help. But you're about out of time, so yeah, we sure are, unfortunately. Uh, and I had something to add, and I've forgotten what it was. Anybody else? There's several people trying to talk. Sir to Roger, me. yes, sir. And Monica Mark. wanted to ask a question. No. Okay. Well, let's get my uh, Mirka. Monica. Monica. Uh, Monica? Yeah, Monica was asking. Hi. Hi. How are you? Are you new? Have we spoken before? Uh, one time, a long time ago. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was the person that was asking before about uh, how to, uh, to go about um, having to be an independent contractor uh, in California and try and, and getting rid of the taxes and all of that. So I, at the end, I found an answer. But the, today, I'm calling for a different reason. Alrighty. I'm ready to do the the. I'm ready to do now that that um, becoming a national. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I am a naturalized person. That, I that's okay. Became, so my question is because I have like three versions of them uh, and. They all make a reference to be, being born here, and uh, they're being basically they're being put in the system involuntarily. And I was not born here, so I was wondering if well, there is okay. one. That's okay. When you natural when you naturalized, it happened to you later in life. Same thing. You got attached civil rights under the Fourteenth Amendment when you naturalized. Yes. So are you saying that I should use the very same affidavit that everybody else uses, even though it makes reference to being born here? Well, you just substitute naturalized for born and include okay. your naturalization so I, I, papers. What state were you naturalized in? In California. Okay. Well, then, uh, when you naturalized, I believe uh, you were as, you were essentially reborn in California. That's, that's you, correct. You would become a California 
state citizen okay. and a u.s national let's go back to the 14th amendment all persons born or naturalized you're in there yes that's true uh, but they i understand that so by the affidavits i have like i said just make well, just well that, look, those are sample <laughs> affidavits they're just meant to guide people adjust it to your own circumstances and whip it on them okay Okay, I'll just go ahead and do it. I'm okay. ready. All so. right, well, good. Well, congratu- so congratulations, Monica. Hey, yeah, thank you. Okay, yeah, Dan's got something to add. Yeah, Dan? Yeah, talking about all these organizations um, and li- trying to find out the secrets. The secret's out. The Jesuits, through the Masons, and all the other dark societies have infiltrated every single institution in the world yep. and controls every denomination of Protestantism, and anybody doesn't want to listen to that is anybody. What I was going to add earlier: any organization that's under the world's churches, the uh, thing of churches, the Rockefeller thing is corrupted. It doesn't matter even if they are or aren't. If it's an organization, their number one goal is to infiltrate all institutions. It says it in their um, in the, oath in the Jesuit made. oath. That's right. Yeah. They, they, so, so it shouldn't be a shock. Um, the Baptists. I think I said this once before. They all started their churches all at the same time. How the heck did they do that? Guess where they were worshiping before they were built while they were building their buildings was in the temples of the Masons. It was always a takeover. Okay. And well, the, the, they, Jesuit, the Jesuit oath is to take the top position in every institution, every organization in the world, and that's why you got those bricks. I mean, and, the seeing eye on the dollar and, and our job is to re- withdraw our consent in an official manner and come out of her, my people, come out of her. That's what we're dictated to do. Absolutely. Okay. Now, look, Whistler and the music's on the background. We're at the end of another very spirited show. John, I hope we address some of your stuff and we get you off in a couple of directions. A very good dialogue, good discussion today. Very active. I appreciate it, and I hope you did too. Jim Ram's right there ready to take the helm, and I'm about ready to give it to him. So uh, we're at that point. Hey, Jimbo. Hey, Roger. How's it going? Yeah, it's going pretty hectic here this morning. Yeah, it was a good show. Okay, so uh, I hope you all got something out of it. I love each and every one of you. And as you go out and talk to people about this, you understand why I make that statement. Okay, so I'll see you tomorrow. If you got questions that didn't get answered, repeat. We're going to rinse, wash, and repeat tomorrow. Okay, so otherwise than that, I'm done for the day with at least this part of my day. What time? Lisa? What time will be tomorrow? Same time, 11 to 1 Eastern. Oh, 11 to 1. Okay. okay. We just got knocked off the server. We're off. Okay. Jimbo, it's all yours, bro. All righty, Roger. Thanks so much. Okay, man. Day. Thank you.